0: Page 62. And we're not going to hear anything new today, but we might hear it in a different way. So I invite you to pray with me as we hear God's word. So there's no one like you, God. And so as we open this specific passage of scripture this morning... This parable that you told Jesus so many, many years ago, uh, we pray that who you are will be in our mind as we listen, that who we know you to be, who we trust you to be, the confidence we have in who you are is what the Holy Spirit will continue to build in us through the reading of your word. So Spirit, speak, for your servants are listening. We listen with our hearts, we listen with our souls, we listen with our minds, And we seek to be people who listen with our whole selves every day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So hear the word of the Lord from Luke chapter 18. Then Jesus told them a parable about their need to pray always and not to lose heart. He said, In a certain city I will grant her justice so that she may not wear me out by continually coming. And the Lord said, Listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God grant justice to his chosen ones who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long in helping them? I tell you, he will quickly grant justice to them. And yet... When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? This is the word of the Lord. So let's think about the characters we are presented with in this story. We're presented with this woman who is a widow, and she's a widow who has no man to represent her in court. So at the time, she actually had to be represented by a man in court. So here she is going on her own against the rules, against the norms, presenting her case for justice. And here, we're not told anything, so we are to assume that her case for justice is legitimate, that her need and her call for justice is based in reality and something that's real. Like, this, this is real. She's not making something up. But she has no one to represent her in court, no other family member to represent her. And so she uses the only thing she has to use, which is her voice. Now it turns out that she's also got some cultural norms of the time working to her advantage as well. So Ken Bailey is the scholar and the academic that I turn to most often when I'm trying to understand the ancient Near East, uh, early after Christ, or during Christ's life setting of uh, Israel. And Ken Bailey talks about how this practice is actually still present today. This chivalrous culture that allows women to go and do dangerous things like use their voice against people in power because harming a woman is against their code of conduct as a community. And so she's only got her voice, and the system is telling her in one way she can't use that voice, but the system is also saying in another way that she can use that voice, allowing her that space. Ken Bailey talks about during times like the um, uh, when tensions are really high and soldiers are occupying a neighborhood, how women still today will go and yell at the soldiers and say, what are you doing here? Using their voice because it's what they have to use. They have no legal setting or authority but they have their voice that they can persistently use and he talks too about how when um, somebody's been captured they, they will send envoys of women instead of men and soldiers to go plead the case because the code of not doing harm is there. I find that fascinating That in one way, we stop a a voice from being used, but in another way, God makes it so that voice can be used. And the power is in her persistence, isn't it? Her repeatedly not giving up in what is right by using her voice over and over and over again. So we balance her and what she is doing with this unjust judge. This judge who should be doing what is right. It is literally his job to make sure that justice is happening in their community. And Ken Bailey also says that describing someone as having no respect for people is another way of talking about them being shameless, without shame. No code of conduct for this guy to be driven by social norms or to even care at all about what other people need or what they think of him. Not even being able to tell when what they are doing is evil and has harm to others. Being totally driven by only what they want. Being self-consumed. And this is the biggest insult you could give an adult in Israel, in a community identity-based culture to be shameless, to not care. And so this woman goes using her voice over and over and over again to a man and a judge who's supposed to be doing the right thing, who's supposed to have the The needs and the best ideas about what's supposed to happen in that community, that's his job. And she cannot rely on calling upon the name of God and God's justice. She cannot rely on any other man to go and plead her case for her. She cannot rely on the the cultural values of the community to hold this judge to do his job. And yet she keeps going. And then the judge says, man, I am getting so tired of this woman. If for no other reason than to get her out of my hair, I will do the right thing. I will do the right thing for the wrong reasons. Continuing to be selfish and self-consumed and totally motivated only by what he wants, which is to not have to bother with her. It's not to do the right thing for the right thing, It's to do the right thing so that he can be done with it and not be bothered anymore. And Jesus says, look at what he says. This is Jesus saying, hello, people. If someone who does nothing for the right reasons, but will do the right thing, how much more will God do the right thing for the right reasons? This parable is this, is this how-much-more kind of parable. If we know that this happens in reality, how much more will the good, true thing of God be the case? Because the surprise in the parable is that the judge does the right thing. We don't assume or believe or trust that somebody like that guy is going to ever do the right thing. And yet here he is, doing the right thing. And so with that surprise, Jesus is saying, God does the right thing. God does the just thing. God is the one who hears and doesn't need us to persistently pray for him to do the right thing. God will do the right thing no matter what. God doesn't need us to be annoyed Or God is not annoyed with us. That's what I'm trying to say. God is not annoyed with us. And God doesn't do the right thing because we've worn him down. God doesn't hear our cries for help and our calls for justice and then decide, oh, you know, I'm really tired of hearing that, that, that prayer. So I'll go ahead and answer it now. No, that's not how God does it. That is not who God is. God, as we know and have heard over and over and over in these stories from the Gospel of Luke, is this good, good Father who tells us that we can be shameless when we pray to him. Do you remember that story? We can be shameless when we pray to him because we trust that he is the one who does the right thing. God is the good, good father who gives us everything that we need. Do you remember that story? When we call in the middle of the night because we have a need. And who is not like a father on earth who might be tempted to play a joke and give a snake instead of a piece of bread. Or a stone instead of bread, that's how it went. But who is how much more? the one in whom all our trust and confidence can be placed. So Jesus says, listen to this guy who does the right thing for the wrong reason, expecting us to remember like, oh yeah, God's nothing like that, is he? God is nothing like that. And said, God is the one who hears when we pray. God is the one who does and seeks justice. That the ark of all things, as Martin Luther King talks about, is God's justice. God's will being done on earth. God's good, perfect love being known and experienced on earth as it is in heaven. And then Jesus says, But will faith be found on earth when the Son of Man returns? will faith in this one in whom we have such confidence and trust in all these reasons for confidence and trust will faith be found will faith be found will we trust will we pray to this god Luke tells us at the very beginning, before he, before he has Jesus tell the parable, what the point of this parable is. He says, Jesus told them this story, this parable, about their need to pray always and to not lose heart. So what's the difference between praying persistently so as to wear somebody down, and every adult here who has been in a relationship with a child knows exactly what that feels like, What is the difference between praying persistently so as to wear somebody down to get what you want or need and trusting and praying always to a God who you believe will give you what you need? Maybe it's not so much that we understand this scripture passage is teaching us to pray persistently about one thing. But we understand that it's teaching us to be people who are praying all the time in all kinds of ways. Because the second half of this explanation about what this parable is all about says that we pray always and to not lose heart. Which is a way scripture talks about not being overcome and controlled by our fears. So that we give up our faith, and that posture of trust. I'm not talking about doubt here. I'm talking about giving up, seeking God's face. Because when we consider all of the different ways that we know we can pray, I I thought of 10 just this morning. I'm going to share some of them, all 10 of these with you. When we understand that prayer is this turning our face to God in difficult times and in good times. When we understand that prayer is this time of communion and being at one with God. When we understand that prayer is this gift that God has given us to be with God. It actually becomes this time of building trust and confidence and faith. It is not just the time where we go through, number one, our intercessory needs, praying for what we need, and keeping track of those things in such a way that we can see those prayers being answered. We had somebody at apprentice group last week who shared the list that we made during book one, and all the names and all the things that had been crossed off that list that God had done something about. So intercessory prayer that shows us that God actually is still at work in this world because we see him answering prayers about our needs and the needs that we see in the world around us. And intercessory prayer that connects us to the will of God in all these things. And then we have regular prayer, which is this communion time that we spend just sharing with God what's going on in our life for the day, that very easy prayer that we do throughout the day of a checking in and being in relationship. And then we think about how prayer can also be like in the prayer of examine, where we take this time to reflect and let the Holy Spirit highlight for us the way that fear might have gotten into our life today. Or sin might be controlling us more than we realized. And that allows us to do a correction, as well as a celebration of where we saw God at work. That's the prayer of examine, hopes as well as places of confession, consolations and joys, as well as places of of separation and desolation. When we practice that kind of prayer, we are listening to God, and we are seeking to see God in our life. Or when we practice centering prayer, which we do here on Mondays, when we are... Focused solely on a picture or an image of God. Allowing ourselves to be only in his presence. Allowing ourselves to only know and want to know him for just a little bit. The gift of being in his presence builds faith and trust, and confidence. And we can practice prayer that is silence and solitude so that we might actually hear from God. Not just telling God everything we want to say, but actually stopping and being still and alone to hear from him. God who speaks loudly and quietly in Scripture. And we can use Scripture, Scripture to pray and make the truth that we read in these pages living truth. Praying Scripture for ourselves, praying Scripture for others. And then I think about lament prayer, about how lamenting takes this bottled up emotions that we don't know what to do with and lets them out in a way that is holy and healing. And allows us to say goodbye to what is no longer, so that we might say hello to what God is bringing. Faith. Remember, Great is Thy Faithfulness is a hymn written from scripture words that come right at the peak, right in the middle of awful, 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 heart wrenching prayers of lament and sadness and grief, and confession, and repentance about all the things that are not the way it should be. Lament is this act of faith. And when we pray together in groups, we are reminded that we are not alone. We surround ourselves with a cloud of witnesses. And hearing other people pray is this encouragement to us. It builds our faith to see the faith of others being expressed through their prayers. Or what about when we pray blessings on our enemies like Jesus teaches us to do in the Sermon on the Mount? When you are in a difficult and a hard time and you turn a curse into a blessing, what is that if not an act of trust that God has good things for you? that you do not have to create on your own. And you don't have to fight to get, but can trust him to provide. And I think, too, of just that simple breath prayer in difficult moments, where I can breathe in and say, God, you are holy. Or you are here. Or you are love." And I can breathe out, I am your child. I am with you. I trust you. All of these different ways of praying that can make up how we pray always so that we do not lose heart. How we pray always So that we might be persistent in the act and work of prayer. Because we have a good, loving God who promises to be with us through prayer. Because we have a God who does the right things for the right reasons. And prayer is his invitation to commune with him. Prayer is God's invitation to us To share in that confidence and that faith and that trust and that love. Prayer is the gift to us that keeps us from losing hope, our heart losing sight of Him. Amen. Let's pray. What an invitation you have given us to not only pray about the good and the bad, but just to simply be with you through prayer. That sometimes, God, prayer is the only thing we feel like we have, like the widow woman who only had her voice. that there are times when we don't know what else to do and the only thing that we can do is to pray. That we see this so often not only in the pages of Scripture but in our actual lived experience. And so, God, we are so grateful that you are all-knowing and that you planned this gift of prayer for us. And we pray that we will be people who are found to have faith. Faith that is seen in a continuous act, a persistent act of turning to you no matter the circumstances. Holy Spirit, we pray that you will bind up our hearts so that we don't lose them to anything else but to you. Jesus, our King, the one who comes to dwell within us. We don't want to lose our hearts to anyone but you. And yet we know that there are so many needs and cares and worries and concerns and distresses that can, that can start to unravel what you have sealed and bound up, that can tempt us to turn our face from you and to focus on the evil and the bad in the world. But we pray that we will not settle for those false hopes when someone who does the right thing for the wrong reason instead we pray that we will be people who are known for crying out and praying to you so that the right thing is done for the right reasons. The right reason being your good and perfect will of love for the universe. So Jesus, hear us from heaven. Amen.